Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Good evening, everyone. Great to be here with you. Great to be opening up Acts. I'm Michael, one of the pastors here at Salt. So welcome if you're new, another welcome. And uh, great, it'd be great to meet you if you're new with us tonight. I'm going to pray uh, that... W- God helps us as we listen to his word tonight. So let's pray together. Our great Heavenly Father, please uh, give us clear uh, heads, minds, hearts that are willing uh, to listen to what you have to say to us tonight. Uh, Father, please by your spirit, open up these words that we might hear your voice. Uh, We might respond in a way that pleases you. Help me to speak clearly and faithfully as I should. We pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, life is full of defining first times. Um, I remember very vividly my first uh, day at school. I remember the first time I turned up to kids' church. I remember the the day my mum invited me uh, to come along to kids' church. I remember the first time hearing about Jesus. I remember the first time trusting Jesus, saying, I'm in with Jesus. I remember the first uh, night of a youth community that I became part of. I remember the first time I saw Natalie, my wife-to-be. I remember our first conversation. I remember the first phone call, the first date, and the first kiss. I'll leave it there. Uh, I remember our first home, uh, which was an old home but a new home for us. We came home from the honeymoon. We moved in. I remember coming home from hospital with our first child, Chloe, uh, taking that precious cargo all the way home. I don't think I'd travelled more than 40 kilometres an hour the whole trip, make sure she got home safely. Uh, I remember my first day at uni. I remember a great friend, lifelong friend I made at uni uh, in that first week. I remember my first time arriving at my parents' home without my dad being there. I remember the first time this year my car broke down. Uh, I also remember the second time and the third time happened this week. Uh, That's another story. Um, First times, just memorable moments. There's first in the world as well kind of moments. There's the the first time women uh, voted, the first Indigenous Australian who's uh, come into Parliament as a a member. There's uh, the first human to land on the moon, those big... Uh, world-scale moments. But you know, there's a first coming to Wollongong as well. Um, in 29 days, the UCI Road Championship is coming to Wollongong. Um, you're either going to be super, super excited or really, really annoyed <laughs> because about 400,000 people are arriving in our city. We've been called... Uh, so this is one of the world's top five annual sporting events. Uh, We've been called the uh, UCI Bike City, so Union Cycliste Internationale. That's the governing body of, of the cycling world. I'm sounding like I know what I'm talking about here, but I've, I've researched this this week. It's all going to happen. We're, we're a UCI Bike City, the only one in the Southern Hemisphere. First time it's happened in Wollongong. Sounds like it's the first time it's happened in Australia. Um, we've made it. You know, We're proud. Uh, Wollongong's on the map. 
Now, there's also lots of firsts in the book of Acts. Uh, If you've been with us in this uh, unstoppable series, the gospel going out, the good news of Jesus unfolding to the ends of the earth, have you noticed all the first times? That's why Acts is such a big deal. That's why Acts is so unique. Here's the first time in Acts, first time in history, the Spirit comes on all God's people in Jerusalem. Uh, It's the first gathering of God's church. Uh, We saw that early in Acts, if you were with us last time we went through Acts. It's, we saw in this series the first time a Samaritan uh, calls Jesus Lord, the first time a non-Jew, a Gentile, says, yes, I follow Jesus. Acts is full of first times. And tonight's no exception. Acts 13, here is the first missionary journey. The first church to send out purposely, prayerfully, missionaries on a journey to bring the good news to the ends of the earth. Uh, Here is is a little waypoint in Acts, a group of Christians, Jews and and, uh, non-Jews, sending people on mission. Uh, So I want you to be inspired tonight as we think about mission together. Uh, We're a church on mission, this is is what we want to be. Here is the DNA, if you like, of a missional church. If you consider yourself part of SALT, if you want to be on mission, this is what it's going to look like. Um, Come with me on this journey as we think about what mission is, uh, what are some of the difficulties uh, as we look at Acts 13. So open up to Acts 13, have your Bibles open in front of you, your phone open if it's open to a Bible app, otherwise close your phone. Um, Here is the next instalment, here's here's the next um, instalment of history in, in Acts Uh, We're going to make some observations along the way like we've been doing previous weeks and then draw some implications for us at the end. So come with me. Now, you should have already pushed back uh, in what I'm saying. Is this the first missionary journey? In one sense, isn't all the Bible about mission? Uh, Right from Genesis 12, what has God been saying? I'm going to make one nation, Israel, and I'm going to bless the whole earth through them. Uh, The end of the Bible. Uh, Who do we see? A a multitude of people in heaven gathered, all the nations, the product of of God's mission to the world. Where's the high point? It's Jesus' death and resurrection. From there, the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that you can be forgiven, that Jesus is Lord, that you need to turn to him, is going to go out to the ends of the earth. Uh, End of the gospels, Jesus made it clear, didn't he? What's the next thing? Go and make disciples of all nations. Or back in Acts chapter 1, Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. There's the program, there's what's the next step that's about to happen. And here we are, 13 chapters into Acts, and the mission is pushing to the ends of the earth, is pushing into Gentile territory. It's pushing past the Jews, past the Samaritans, to non-Jews. And in a sense, uh, up, up until this point, the apostles have been pushed out by persecution. Here's this little resting point where we, we meet the church in Antioch in Acts 13, who now prayerfully sends out people uh, to proclaim the gospel to other parts. So have a look at it with me. Verse 1. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers... Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, 
Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Notice that it's a multi-ethnic church, this little description. It's not the whole church. I think he's actually um, pointing out to us, here are the leaders, here are the prophets and teachers. In fact, here are the ones we're perhaps considering who we might send on this journey. Uh, But notice the description. Uh, Saul is mentioned, not Paul. I think it's just a, a little reminder. Remember Saul, he's the sinner who killed Christians. He's saved, he's forgiven, he's seen the risen Jesus, he's, he's part of this church. Uh, Barnabas from Cyprus, he's, he's not a Jew, uh, possibly two Africans, Simeon called Niger, which means black, and Lucius of Cyrene from North Africa. And they're also economically diverse, they're not, they're not just slaves, they're, they're a, a, a range of people. So Manaean was either a school friend or a foster brother to King Herod. Uh, and they're also gifted in, the, in word ministry, aren't they? They are prophets and teachers. Um, Luke is listing, here are the possible people that we're thinking of sending out. In fact, because they're on mission, because they're thinking mission, they're about to send their best preachers, their best leaders out to this mission. Look at verse 2. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting... The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they'd fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And there's something about the DNA of a missional church. You notice they are a sending church. Uh, They're thinking, who can we bless with the gospel in another place, in another land? How can we, God is bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth, how can we take our part in that gospel going to the ends of the earth? It's so good that Christians think that way, isn't it? That's precisely how SALT started 10 years ago. Uh, A small group of people left their church that they loved, people prayed for them, people prayed for Wollongong, that they would plant a church and join with the other churches to reach the Illawarra for the gospel. Um... You often send your best people. I'm sure that those churches were hurting as people went down to Wollongong to start SALT. Uh, And many of you have even experienced it here at SALT. Last August, a year ago, we sent a group of people to the northern suburbs of Wollongong uh, with Tim and Alita, brothers and sisters that we loved uh, and benefited from their ministry here, gifted people, passionate people, people who gave themselves to the work of the gospel, and they've gone to share the gospel with other people. And it's gone, it's gone, it's gone incredibly well. It's, it's uh, been very encouraging to hear. And we're going to hear, come along to grow. And you'll hear a, a snapshot from Tim on how things have gone in the last year. God's done great things at Village that we need to give thanks for. So we're on mission here at Wollongong. And there are people going out from us uh, to other parts of Wollongong and the Illawarra. There'll be people that go out from us to other parts of the world, and that has already happened in the life of salt, uh, and hopefully will continue to happen. It actually means that we'll keep raising up leaders and trainees for the work of the gospel, not just here, we need to keep doing that, but we'll keep, we'll keep sending people, and that's going to be painful and difficult. That's part of being a church on mission, that's part of being a missional church. But notice also, uh, Luke says, this first mission is spirit-led. It's quite clear that the spirit uh, is leading the church to send people out. 
And I don't think Luke is saying there are spirit-filled missions and non-spirit-filled missions. Every mission that uh, proclaims the gospel of Jesus is spirit-filled. Uh, it's Jesus who leads this mission by his spirit. But Luke is bringing our attention to it. It's interesting, later in the book of Acts, uh, as the missionary journeys are described, they're not described so explicitly as, as led by the Spirit. They still are, but there's something about it here. I think Luke is pointing us to the church needs to be very clear, this is God's mission. It really is God's mission that the good news of Jesus goes out to other parts of the earth. Uh, and the church needed to be in no doubts. So they're praying, they're fasting. The Spirit speaks to them directly, perhaps through a prophet, we're not told. Send out Barnabas and Saul for the mission I've got for them. So really clear that the living Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, by his Spirit, is sending people from his church so that others might hear the good news of Jesus. And um, stick with us in the weeks ahead, because actually this is part, the start of a a longer journey, a longer mission of two years, where they visit six key places across the Mediterranean into into modern-day Turkey and proclaim that Jesus is the risen Lord, the forgiveness of sins is possible now, turn to him and be saved. I reckon it's a great reminder to us too uh, to, to be prayerful in all of our plans. To plan to um, send, but to keep relying on, on God who is the king of the mission. Uh, to remember that it's Jesus' mission, it's by his spirit. Trust him, depend on him, ask for his wisdom. Ask him to keep convicting us that this gospel message really is to go out to the ends of the earth because it is going to cost us and we need to be uh, sure that that is, that is what God wants to do, us to do. It's a little bit easier for us, isn't it? Because the Word of God that we have in New Testament makes it very clear that the Gospels to go to the nations. But we do need to be continually convicted as we pray and ask God to help us uh, as we wisely do that. It's actually why our vision here at Salt is a prayer in itself. We're praying for that flood of lifelong disciples in Wollongong and beyond. We're praying for that. Um, so I want to Keep encouraging you, to, if, you're, um, if you're a follower of Jesus here at Salt, to keep praying that more people might become disciples of Jesus. That's our prayer. Are you praying that prayer uh, that the gospel might go out to more people? Now, what are they doing on mission here? Have a look with me in verse 4 and 5. Uh, what takes place in the mission? The two of them, verse 4, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus, when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. Here's a, here's a map to get a bit of a picture of where we're heading. So we're in the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, who's ever been to this part of the world? Beautiful, kind of the Greek Isles kind of part of the world. Um, that's what mission's about. Yeah? It's all, all big holiday, you know, going sailing on the Mediterranean Sea, off to the island of Cyprus. It's a bit tougher for that than that for Paul. But it's that kind of part of the world from Antioch uh, down to the island of Cyprus and they go across this island proclaiming the word of God starting in the Jewish, Jewish synagogues. And what are they doing? They're proclaiming, verse, verse 5, uh, the word of God. It's actually shorthand in Acts for 
proclaiming the good news of Jesus, that forgiveness of sins is now possible. Jesus is Lord, turn to him and be forgiven. Uh, That's the message they're proclaiming. That's the message they've received from Jesus uh, himself. That's the Jesus that Saul, who became Paul, saw, the resurrected Jesus. And it tells us something about mission, that mission is pointing people to the facts about Jesus. Here is who he is, here is what he's done, here's what you need to do in response. I've mentioned it a few times, but it's actually what we're going to, what we, we're always doing in mission. But in October, we're starting a new course called Life. Uh, and over the course of five weeks, uh, we're in, inviting people who want to explore Jesus, understand the facts about Jesus. Who is Jesus? Why has he come? Um, what do you need to do to respond? What are your questions? To let that unfold for five weeks. Uh, maybe that's for you, maybe that's for a friend. Uh, again, we'll talk more about that at, at Grow this week. Uh, but that's what it is. Mission is proclaiming the good news of Jesus, the Word of God. Uh, it involves more steps than that, but it is that in its central focus. And as they do that, uh, who is it that they meet? Because when you're on mission, you, you never know who you're going to meet. You throw yourself out there. So they travel to the whole island. They, get, they come to um, Paphos And look at verse 6 and look at the people they meet. They travelled through the whole island until they came to Paphos when they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elamas, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. So it's two, two men we, we meet, don't get confused with the names. The first guy, uh, described as a sorcerer and a false prophet, actually has two names, Bar-Jesus and Elamas. Now he's a Jew, but he's part of a deeply corrupt version of Judaism. Uh, he's living in uh, a deeply superstitious world. You work out whether it's any different to our world, which can be very superstitious. But he's living in a world where it's very clear there are demonic forces at play, there are unclean spirits and ghosts in people's belief system, and people would look to him for guidance in life, to understand life, for protection. Now, I don't know how you think about ma- uh, magicians or sorcerers today, but we're often, they're often portrayed uh, in, in more of a light-hearted way, aren't they, in our movies and culture, even in, in terms of entertainment. Uh, so think of Harry Potter, uh, he uses magic for good. Uh, but even celebrity magicians who, who, who you know, trick us uh, and marvel us, pull big crowds, have lots of followers on Instagram, big YouTube channels, all that kind of thing. But here's the thing, sorcery is called the dark arts because it, it focuses, at its heart, it focuses on someone who deliberately engages with the world of demons, of evil, of darkness, of ghosts, who, who kind of has this power to manipulate the powers of death and evil, uh, actually a very powerful person who's in touch with these things, a person uh, who is really in touch, who is to be feared, I think, and was feared uh, in the first century. And 
it's really important for us to hear the warning God gave to his nation. It's a great warning for us as well about how dangerous this side of life is. So it was read out for us. Deuteronomy 18 on the screen. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or his daughter pass through the fire or one who uses fortune telling, one who practices witchcraft or one who interprets omens or a sorcerer or one who casts a spell or a medium or a spiritist or one who calls up the dead. Who's the second man? The second man is a, is a man by the name of Sergius Paulus. He's a proconsul, he's a governor. Uh, we're told he's an intelligent man, he's a leader, he's a Gentile. And he's impressed with the claims of Jesus. And in fact, by the end of, the, end of this section, he becomes a follower of Jesus. And here's another reference Luke makes to an historical figure uh, in, in the book of Acts. Um, we've got an inscription, there's a little photo here, from Sergius Paulus. I think it's the next slide. Yeah. Um, I've got no idea what that says, but it's signed off by Sergius Paulus. You can look up uh, that for yourself. But Sergius Paulus wants to hear the message of Jesus. And that's when the trouble starts. Do you know that's when, that's when the trouble starts in this chapter? Elymas opposes Paul and Barnabas. He actually tries to stop Sergius Paulus from hearing the word of God and so the opposition is very real for these missionaries that are going out Paul and Barnabas Um, and you think to yourself what could possibly go wrong when you share Jesus with someone why is that such a big deal why is Elymas so keen for this not to happen what is going on here now there's a relationship between Elymas uh, and the governor, Sergius Paulus, they're, they're in some kind of relationship politically. But there's some, I think Luke's pointing us to something even bigger that's going on behind all of those relationships. And that is, there is a massive amount of things going on when you ask someone to bow the knee to Jesus. That is no small thing. That is a massive thing. There's a whole lot of spiritual things going on. Uh, Colossians chapter 1 says, when someone becomes a Christian... They move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of light. A massive change has taken place. They no longer live in slavery to sin. They're no longer condemned. Now they are forgiven. Now they are alive with Jesus. There's a massive change of allegiance that's taken place. They now live with Jesus as their Lord. The angels are rejoicing. Jesus died so this could happen it could only happen because Jesus died the spirit of God is at work in fact the spirit of God is now indwelling in this person's life God is dwelling in this person's life and he's brought them into a gathering of people his people the church and so do you think the enemies of God might be a little upset that that happens (laughs) do you think that Satan, the enemy of God, the father of all lies, might be doing everything he possibly could to stop that from happening? Absolutely he will. There is a massive amount going on when you call someone to turn to Jesus and be forgiven and have him as your Lord. And I wonder, do you believe that when you share Jesus that these kind of things are going on? 
things that you can't necessarily see or touch, but sometimes you can see and touch very obviously. That is what's going on when you call someone to consider the claims of Jesus. And I want to challenge you tonight. Do you believe in the spiritual world? Do you believe... I hope you believe in the spiritual world. It would be rather odd if, as Christians, uh, we didn't. It would be rather odd for us, of all people, who've been called into God's kingdom and God has opened our eyes to this whole new dimension of life and eternity, that we didn't believe that these things were going on. And I think you're going to find it incredibly hard to be part of mission because you won't take up the weapons needed for mission, the weapons of prayer and the, the, the weapon of the Word of God and the Gospel. But the other, the other reason I hope you believe these things is because most Aussies either believe there's something more in the spiritual realm or are open to discovering it. Uh, most Aussies believe there's more to what you can see and touch. We don't live that way. We live very much for the material. We live very much for the now. But when we're asked this, these questions, we often say, yes, there is more. There must be more. I was reading an article this week uh, from last year in the ABC. Uh, it was titled, We Asked Aussies If They Believe in God or the Supernatural. Here's what they said. So I was um, collecting some data on a survey of a thousand people, McCrindle Research, uh, for the Centre of Public Christianity. Um, lots of great stuff. I'll put it in Salt Weekly, you can have a look at it. Here's a couple of things that really stood out to me. Did Jesus rise from the dead, a thousand people? Uh, only 15% of people said definitely not. Uh, we've got a new stat here, great. Um, 12% said unlikely. though said, yes, I'm certain, or it's possible. So I'm combining two categories there. And 28% said, I don't know. So my maths tells me 70% of people say either, yes, Jesus uh, rose from the dead, or it's possible, or I don't know, but I'm open for a conversation. (laughs) That's a huge amount of people, isn't it? Um, They did another stat that asked um, people, do you believe in miracles, angels, different categories? Do you believe in uh, a higher being, a God, a soul? The majority of people, so about 60%, said yes. Uh, If you're in the age group of 20 to 26, the percentages go up higher. And the people that said, no, there is nothing beyond what you can see and touch, we live in a materialist world, that's it, never reached double digits. So the people who said, there is no such thing as miracles, no such thing as angels, there is no God, there is no soul, 6%, 7%, maximum 9%. We need to talk about these things, yeah? Uh, We've got so much to say in this realm, haven't we? that's so much more profound than talking about miracles and souls, but it relates to that. Here is our God who has power over evil, who has entered our world, who has good news, who is the Lord, who brings forgiveness and eternal life. We need to be talking to our friends about these things that really matter. And so here is the proconsul hearing the good news of Jesus 
Um, Elamas doesn't get his way. He's not powerful enough for the word of God. Uh, and the proconsul comes to faith. Um, and Elamas is condemned. Look at verse 10. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elamas and said, You are a child of the devil, an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. That is a profound rebuke, isn't it? I don't necessarily recommend that approach. But there is five descriptions he gives him. Not one of them is a compliment. Uh, It's not so much a curse, but it's a judgment that ends in him blinded. It's It's ironic, isn't it? Paul was blinded when he saw Jesus. Here is this man blinded in judgment. But I think never underestimate the the opposition you're going to get. Uh, This is a spiritual battle. All opposition is spiritual. Uh, The stakes are so high, aren't they? We're calling people to follow Jesus. And what is the evil that that Paul is calling out here? It's really interesting, isn't it? What would you say is is evil? Uh, Sometimes people refer to certain crimes as evil, certain actions. Paul is calling him out because you have prevented someone from hearing the word of God. You've prevented someone from trusting in Jesus, from calling Jesus Lord. That is evil. That is of the devil. That you are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Paul calls him out on it. Mission's going to be difficult. Mission's going to have struggles and wrestles and hardships and persecutions, pushbacks. Uh, the missionaries of, the, of Acts knew that. Look at Acts 14.22. Here's what they conclude. We must go through many hardships or persecutions to enter the kingdom of God. But Paul says it later in 2 Timothy 3. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Uh, it's, just the, it's just the reality of following Jesus. I remember a, a young guy that I baptised. Uh, he became a Christian Uh, And it was really interesting to see this spiritual battle at work in his life uh, over more than a year as he considered the claims of Jesus, as he worked out, if I follow Jesus, if I put my trust in him, if he is Lord, that means this and this and this needs to change, that my new life will look like this. He did put his faith in Jesus. He was forgiven. Uh, He saw Jesus Lord. Uh, But I don't think he was prepared, and I wasn't either, for some of the opposition that he received uh, now that he'd become a Christian. So um, his father opposed him the whole way along. His father persuade, tried to persuade him, convince him not to become a Christian for, for, for the year up to when he became a Christian. Uh, when he was baptised, uh, he was praying that his dad would come along to the baptism. And he'd say to me, I think my dad's going to come, I'm not sure. He's pretty annoyed that I've become a Christian And then he rings me and says, yeah, my dad's coming, but he's coming with a sign. (laughs) He's going to hold up a sign amongst the crowd in the baptism, and it's not praise God, it's something else. Now, thankfully, uh, he didn't come with the sign. Uh, He did come, and he has softened, uh, and God is working in his life as well. But opposition is real, it's to be expected. And I want to ask you tonight, are you ready for that kind of opposition. There's a cost 
isn't there, to following Jesus. There's a cost to being on mission for Jesus. And there is a way to avoid that cost. There is a, a way not to be getting these pushbacks. And that's not to be on mission. That's just stay quiet. Don't let anyone know you're a Christian. Um, but that's not what it means to follow Jesus, is it? We've got to be bolder than that. We've got to be more confident in Jesus and full of his spirit as they were. That God is at work. God will change people. God will save people even through us and all of our fears. So let me finish um, with this. As we think about Acts 13, very clear, isn't it? The message of Jesus is good news. It's hope in a very dark world. Um, Is that what you believe it is? Because if that's what's going to uh, propel you forward, it's not... What our world tells us is the best news. But here is the best news for every single person. Here is the only hope uh, in a dark world. And as we get ready for a season of mission coming up, again, we're going to talk more into it on on Friday night at Grow, and there'll be opportunities at Saltfest to invite friends, uh, maybe their first contact with Christian things or Christian people or us here at Salt, uh, life course, Are you ready for opposition? Are you ready for that spiritual battle? Do you realise you're in a war? And are you going to be bold and confident, in not in yourself, but in Jesus and his power? Uh, Because that will lead you to pray, to depend on him, to ask him uh, for opportunities. And lastly, are you prepared to actually go? Because there was great boldness in Paul, wasn't there, rebuking Elymas, but there's great boldness in Paul and Barnabas in going to tell people about Jesus. And so there's the challenge, isn't it? Will you go to your friend, go to your neighbour to invite them? So there it is, the message of Jesus, the only hope for our dark world. Sometimes it can feel like Christianity is shrinking or small or declining, but here is Jesus building his church by his spirit, uh, overcoming the hurdles, the threats. Here is Jesus continuing to be the king uh, and saviour, the only hope in an increasingly dark world. And so what are we to do? We're to press on, we're to pray, we're to have confidence in him and work out, take up our part in this great mission as we see more disciples made. I'm going to pray for us. Our great Heavenly Father, we praise and thank you uh, for your son Jesus the King, the Saviour, the leader of the mission, the one who died to make the mission possible, that forgiveness of sins might be given out, that people might turn to him as the Lord. Please embolden us, encourage us, equip us uh, to share Jesus with others and take up our part in mission. Uh, Father, please help us to rest in your power, your greatness, your spirit, as it leads us, uh, as we share Jesus with others. And Father, we do pray that you might bring more disciples of Jesus in, in Wollongong and beyond. And we pray it for Jesus' sake. Amen.